Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Punches and Potables brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and untapped at Process Potables and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, namely Power Bombs and Potables, our weekly professional wrestling podcast, and the flagship show talking craft beer and the Sixers, Process Potables. Be sure to check out their pod this week of the further review of the NBA draft. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Punches and Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. Welcome back to Punches of Potables. My name is Paul Ryan here with my co-host Rob Huber. What is up, everybody? And my little brother, Sean Hardy. Hey, how's everyone doing? All right, let's punch open these beers and get it started. Me and Rob are both drinking the same thing today, and Rob is the beer guy, so I'll let him, you know, give you the rundown. Take it away. Well, speaking of beer guy, um, I think the reason we are drinking the same one tonight is it is a lovely swoosh. From Bonesaw, which is a local brewery in Glassboro, New Jersey, right outside from uh, Rowan University. And uh, we are drinking this due to the fact that our very own producer, Mr. Dan Morgan, uh, is now quite the magnificent employee there. And he actually canned these two beers and many, many of thousands of others. But uh, these two cans actually canned by the man, Dan. So, yeah, let's uh, cheers this and have a nice little sip of that. Excellent beer itself. Dan, do you want to tell us a little bit about Swoosh since you uh, actually work at Bonesaw? Sure. Well, Swoosh is one of the flagship beers of Bonesaw. And while I did, was one of the two people canning about, mm, I think the number came to about 9,600 cans of mm. it, uh, there's about a 65% chance I actually canned that one, if we're being fair. But I was part of the team doing so, absolutely. Swoosh is our IPA. Uh, traditional IPA, a little bit of juice in there. Uh, I think it clocks in around 7%, I want to say. I believe you get notes of like tangerine, orange, along with a lot of hoppiness. I can tell you from the time that I've been there, the, uh, the, the cleanliness and the processes we go through to ensure that that beer is as pure as it can be is beyond anything I've ever seen. Uh, I'm very proud to work there. Uh, we will obviously still feature beers from everywhere. Uh, I by no means want to become biased, but uh, we were fans of Bonesaw before I worked there, to be fair. Yes. So uh, I am also drinking a beer from Bonesaw. I, I grabbed this before I knew Rob brought swoosh, so uh, <laughs> that was not premeditated, but I'm drinking a Rango 6 Pale Ale. So uh, good. No longer in production, but you know some of those perks of being an employee, I, I uh, believe... Uh, I asked if they had done anything with Galaxy Hops, and this was one of the ones they still had uh, for some of the employees to grab. And it is a, just a different version of their Rango Pale Ale, which is usually on. But this one with Galaxy Hops is extra juicy, uh, and I'm a very big fan of it. I, I don't have many left, and I think this might be the last uh, I'm able to get my hands on. So I'm enjoying that and you know, wanted to bring a good beer to the table to enjoy talking some MMA with the boys. So uh, if you guys want to take it away, I... I'm trying to still get the image out of my head that Paul showed me, which I'm sure you're going to get to. Uh, we're <laughs> definitely going to talk about that one because 
I sent it to both of these guys when I saw the close-up so they could be as grossed out about it as I was. And, and Paul, you were right. It did not stop me from eating. So Didn't think it would. But let's get into it. We have a lot to discuss today. We had a little bit of time off, and there were some events that went by. So we're going to get into that, and we're going to go through it as quickly as possible to get to the new stuff. So starting with the event three weekends ago, it was the Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall event. It goes to say with a lot of things we've said that even though there's not a lot of star power, you need to watch these fights because the the entire card, there were only three fights that went the distance. And you had three really impressive knockouts on the prelims. Miles Johns beat Kevin Natividad with a sweet uppercut. Adrian Giannis knocked out Victor Rodriguez with a sweet head kick. And Alexander Hernandez came in like a bat out of hell, throwing punch after punch and would not be denied and put away Chris Grutzmacher in the first round. That head but, kick was absolutely nasty. Oh, so was that uppercut. Mm-hmm. Like but Clinics. Jumping in right to the main event, it started off with a great fight. This was one of the few fights that went the distance. It was a close fight. Could have went either way. But I thought they made the right call with Tiago Moises squeaking out a decision over the streaking Bobby Green. Yeah, I mean, Bobby Green really did put on such an amazing performance as well. Uh, I I do agree. I think the decision went the right way. Uh, I, you know... I, I, I can't be upset about anything, but uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I was, I was kind of pulling for Bobby Green in that one. I personally was a little bit disappointed, but uh, not to the point where I'm too overly upset and saying, ah, you know, I, I, I think it should have gone this way. Like, no, I, I, I agree with it, but definitely uh, would have preferred to see it go to the guy I was rooting for, of course. Yeah, I'm kind of on the other side. I thought Bobby Green should have walked away with it. Um, looking at the numbers here, Bobby Green doubled his strikes, doubled his significant strikes. They tied in takedowns. They were close in control time. Um, I actually, going into it, thought Bobby Green should have easily walked away with it, but that's why I don't leave it to the hands of the judges. It's one of those ones where it was close, where I could see it going either way, and I wouldn't be too upset if they would have given it to Bobby Green or Moises, but I thought Moises got the win. Um, it is what it is, but they got to you know, do what they got to do going forward. Um, as for Bobby Green, he did have his four-fight wins. Win streak stopped. Um, he, with a four fight win streak in that division, he's clearly not going anywhere. So I thought of two names for him would be either Jim Miller or Michael Johnson would be a good fight for him next. And I believe Michael Johnson would be a rematch for him because Michael Johnson beat him in the past when they were both ranked. Yeah, which is a that fun aspect to the card building and the potential rivalry that you have there. Uh, like you said, coming off of a four-fight win streak and then having to take one L here, it's not going to be too detrimental for him. I think a lot of people still have it fresh in his, their minds, the streak that he's been on. So to go back and potentially take on somebody who I don't want to say too much of a struggle with, um, but you know, you've had a loss too before, now that you've got this hype and this motivation, and yes, again, you had a loss, but you still have those, this four-fight win streak, I think it's definitely a great pick and would be a very exciting fight with a lot of momentum towards it. I'd rather see him against Jim Miller. Um, to be honest, Michael Johnson's really been disappointing in his last couple of fights. I think he's, what, four and two, or two and four. Actually, it goes even worse than that now that I'm looking. Two, three, four, five. He's two and six 
in his last eight fights. I mean, Bobby Green's now four and one. You can go on the streak. It really doesn't seem and and Michael Johnson dropped down to forty five as well. So I'd rather see Bobby Green stay in the division, take on a legend like Jim Miller, possibly get that win under your hat. Well, Michael Johnson's last fight was to Tiago Moises, where he destroyed him in the first round, but then got caught by that Imanari roll and got put away, I think, by a heel hook. But moving on for Tiago Moises, um, I know he was calling for the people at the back end of the uh, top 15. Um, I don't think he's quite there yet, so I put him against a winner who also fought in this card against Alexander Hernandez, and the winner of that should move into the top 15. I'm, I'm, I don't know about that one. I, I feel like he has a, at least a little bit more momentum. Now, granted, do I think he should break into the top 10? No, but I, I don't know. I, I, feel like, I feel like the back end of the top 15, because where, where is he ranked right now? Um, neither, so you're saying, you're saying Hernandez. Neither one are ranked. That's what I'm saying. Hernandez yeah. just fell out of the rankings because of two losses in a row. But those two losses were to Cowboy and Ally Aquinta. So in this weight class, who do we have at like 14 and 15 right now? Uh, Drew Dober's 15 and Gregor Gillespie, Gregor Gillespie, Gillespie is 14. Yeah, I'd give him Gillespie. I don't think anybody wants Gillespie. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think if he's looking to move forward, that would be a solid fight for him to take in order to keep it rolling and then advance himself. Mm, agree to disagree. I think him versus Alexander Hernandez would be a fun one. And the winner of that would, you know, jump into that top fifteen fight. Sure, so smug. <laughs> I can be. Yeah, like, so geez. can you, you little shit. I don't think I've ever went. Hmm. Mm, yes, Rob. I, I I like what you said there, but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> you have multiple times. I've lived with you. No, I just say you're wrong, Paul. Anyway. But moving on, uh, Kevin Holland. Which one of you still lives at home? Ooh, funny. Got him. So moving on to the middleweight. Kevin Holland took a fight against Charlie Antiveros. It was a short-notice fight. Antiveros is a welterweight who bumped up to take this fight on short notice to make his UFC debut. It ended when Kevin Holland slammed him and he landed on his neck. Um, Oliveros will be back. Kevin Holland has been impressive. A lot of his fights have been on short notice, whether he was filling in or his opponent pulled out. After the fight, apparently there was an incident between him and Israel Adesanya, and they were jawing at each other a little bit. I would tell you what I thought was next for him, but he already did that for me. If you don't know, Darren Till got injured and pulled out of his fight, and Kevin Holland is now stepping in as an unranked fighter against the number four in the division. He has nothing to lose, everything to gain, all the pressures on Jack Hermanson, but if he can pull out a win there, he puts himself right up in there in title talks. I mean, I think that's dangerous to say in title talks. I understand it's the number four and you're doing something impressive. It's a relatively quick turnaround. And then, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, just obviously appealing to the UFC and Uncle Dana in the sense that you're willing to just step right in and do that. But still, I think if he happens to beat Hermanson, it's still uncalled for to think that it would be like, all right, well, just because you beat number four, you know, potentially on a whim and you came in and you stepped up when we needed you most, we're just going to make you a ranked fighter at that point in the top five, let alone title contention. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Looking at the top four in the middleweight division, you got Whitaker coming off, what, two wins in a row, uh, most likely next in line for Asani's belt. 
So if you do beat, if he does, which is a big if, beat Hermanson, he should probably fight Cannoneer or Paulo Costa next, and then that's probably when he'd get his belt. Well, shot at the belt. So should we talk about Robbie Whitaker and Adesanya now, just because the comment was made? We'll get to that. Because we'll I know, get to that. I know. As soon as you said that, me and Paul just looked at each other like, "Well, um, no." <laughs> But we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get there. to that. <laughs> Next fight, if you listen to our last podcast, unfortunately, the guy we were all rooting against won. But we also saw it coming, I think. I mean, if you go back and listen to that, we, we all, for the most part, said it's likely going to go to Greg Hardy as much as we'd like to see him get his ass handed to him. You know, that 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 was just something that we all kind of foresaw. Well, what also helped Greg Hardy in his win over Maurice Green was he left American Top Team to go over to Henry Hoof's camp. But most of his training camp was individual training from Rashad Evans. Yeah. So that helps because he is a former champion and a UFC Hall of Famer. But he did put Maurice Green away in the second round. Now looking, I was looking at for Maurice Green, Jorgen DeCastro for his next fight. And as for Greg Hardy... Tanner Bozer for Greg Hardy, but we'll get to Tanner later because he's also in one of the fight cards we're discussing. After that, we had the co-main event, which was a fun one, which we talked about because Dan asked us about the betting odds, which was Thug Nasty, Mm -hmm. Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Philly, and this was a fun fight. It really was. It came down to a decision. It was a unanimous decision that went for Bryce Mitchell, And that was a fairly obvious one because the first and third round, Bryce was able to take Andre down, impose his will on him. The only round that he couldn't take down is the round he lost, and Andre kind of picked him apart. Yeah, and let's talk, you know, the statistics of it. Um, It was fairly obvious while watching it, but of course when even looking at the actual stats, I mean, control time alone, you're talking that Feely had 34 seconds of control time. So... So we had three rounds, and he had 30, 34 seconds of actual control time compared to 10 minutes and 12 seconds for uh, Mitchell. 100 total strikes for Mitchell versus 51 uh, for Feely. 46 to significant strikes to 27. So nothing too overwhelming there in terms of the difference between them. But then takedowns, seven. And then, of course, submission attempts, uh, which Mitchell is crazy amazing with. And then the pass is nine to one. It's it's it, it's just clear. You look at those numbers, and it's just blatantly obvious. Even if you weren't able to watch it, that Mitchell demolished him. Those doesn't look like Sean has anything to add on that one. So <laughs> my legs cramp it up. <laughs> it's past his bedtime, man. Oh, poor baby. But for Andre Feely for his next fight, I was looking at the Korean Superboy Duho Choi. Because I think that would be a stand-up banger. and would be a very entertaining to watch. And as for Bryce Mitchell, I was looking ahead to the number 10 against Sadiq Youssef. It would give Bryce a chance to make that move and try to get into that top 10. And Andre Feely a chance to keep himself relevant and stay in the spotlight with entertaining fights with somebody who will be more than happy to stand and bang with him. Yeah, surprising to me is uh, this is not the first time I've heard Paul talk about a stand-up banger with a Korean Superboy. The last one was the Korean Zombie. Get it right. I I kind of like Korean Superboy. 
<laughs> no, I mean it. No. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I agree. I think the, the most notable thing that you said there out of all of that was Feely needs to keep himself relevant. And I think that matchup that you made is perfect. I do think that that would be spot on for him and not necessarily an easy victory, but something that is obtainable and, again, will keep him relevant so he doesn't fall to the wayside. Is he done his mandatory military? Yeah, he came back and had a fight not too long ago. I forget if it was against Shane Burgos or Dan Eagy, but he did come back and have that fight. He lost, but he did fight one of those two. I'd have to go back and look. Mm-hmm. But moving on to the main event, Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva and Anderson's last fight in the UFC. And Anderson can still go. It took Uriah Hall a while to figure out, and I thought Anderson possibly won the first two rounds, but once Uriah Hall got the timing, he clipped him in the third and was able to put him away in the fourth, and that was the end of that. Nothing but respect from Uriah Hall to Anderson Silva, He actually cried and thanked Anderson for everything he did. And Anderson, being the professional and genuinely nice person that he is, wished Uriah Hall nothing but the best of luck. Look, that was a heartbreaker. Um, That was the end of a generation in in that aspect. Uh, I think he's a top three fighter of all time. I've even pushed for him, and I think in the last show, I haven't actually thought he was going to win. So for me... Um, he was always someone I really enjoyed watching. Um, Uriah Hall, I mean, all, all he did was really keep his place. Beating Anderson was just a feather in the cap for him. Um, but the fact that Uriah Hall was able to fight someone who he probably watched growing up was, was definitely a big deal for him. But to see Anderson go down, I was kind of hoping to let him kind of get his walk away, you know, and walk out on the sunset, maybe get a sweet knockout to add on to his ridiculous highlight reel. It was what it was. Yeah, I can't recall where I was with that one when it came to our last podcast. Uh, I know when it came to the betting odds and things like that. I believe you said Uriah Hall needed it more. Oh, well, yeah, I I can 100% say that's likely something that I said because that's completely true. Uh, He definitely needed that victory way more than Silva did. Silva is, like you said, a legend, top three of all time. I'll, I'll agree to that, and... It's not necessarily something that, um, you know, he, like, it would have been nice, like you said just now, Sean, to see him get maybe a really cool knockout, something done with, like, the flourish that he's always had, and then be able to walk out of that octagon on his own terms. But I'm happy the way it ended. Not so much a Uriah Hall fan where, like, I'm just rooting for him no matter what, but because of how much he needed that with the way his career's been going uh, more recently. And like you said, it's not necessarily the Anderson Silva that is going to be like, oh, wow, you took him out and you retired him. Like He didn't. We knew this was his retirement fight beforehand. We knew that, you know, he's not the Anderson Silva that he was before when he was demolishing, you know, everybody. But it's still, you get to say that you beat Anderson Silva in his last fight and, you know, the way and he was able to get the TKO. So it's, it, it is going to do something for Uriah Hall here. Yeah, I watched this one too because, you know, Silva's been a guy that I've watched for a long time. I kind of pick and choose what I really pay attention to here. But Silva's one that I'm always going to tune in for. So 
you know, I was texting you guys. One of the beautiful things about this was it's not often that a guy just kind of beats your face in like that. And then you're both kind of crying and telling each other how much you mean to them and, and thanking them for it. Like the amount of times I heard Silva just saying thank you with his face busted up was just like, like that. That's one of those storytelling things I feel like, you know, UFC has gotten better with over the years is booking these kind of car, these matches that, that do have some storytelling to it and having more than just guys getting punched in the face, which is appreciated. But the one thing that I've noticed in, in watching Silva, you know, on the back of, end of his career here that I, I think is worth noting and why I'm not really sure that this fight is going to do much um, is it, it's always been strange that the longer he's gone in his career, it feels like the less he has any intention of defending and protecting himself. And the longer you stay up with him, the more willing he is to just let you get your shots in. And I know we were texting about this, and I told you guys, I mean, the the round before this was called, he was just straight up not protecting himself. And I was getting upset that they didn't call it because, I mean, he's getting hammer-fisted on the ground and not trying to stop it. And it was kind of, especially when, you know, there's some of those fights where there are title fights, number one contender fights, things like that, and you kind of get that they're going to give it some leeway and they don't want to call it preemptively. Th- this is Silva's last fight, like you said. Obviously, it doesn't really, like, other than the the nostalgia and the, and the legend, which isn't going to change anyway, that's all it really would have been for him. You know, protect the guy. Get him out of there. Yeah, save him from himself. It, it really bothered me that they weren't more aggressive in getting that done, and then he had to go in there and take another pounding after that, but... Still, the, the thing that stood out the most to me was just the, the respect that they each had at the end, and I, I thought that that was a, a truly beautiful moment in a, in a very violent sport. Yeah, they both earned each other's respect and should have earned a lot of people's respect around just whoever watched it, whether they're in the sport or just a, a supporter. They uh, definitely earned that not only the main event, but the respect of their peers. But moving on to the next event for the following week, the Glover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos event. We're mostly going to talk about the main card, but there is one fight I do have to talk about, and this is what Dan alluded to earlier. Max Griffin versus Ramiz Brahimaj. Mm-hmm. It was a close fight. It was a banger. Uh, Max Griffin was definitely uh, leading the dance. And it got stopped at the end from an elbow that Griffin landed, which almost tore Ramiz's ear off. And I guess because of the adrenaline, he didn't feel it. So the ref had to call it because if you saw any of the pictures, that ear was just dangling. That was gross. I think, you know, and obviously when, especially when there's fans in attendance, I feel like that adrenaline is probably there more. But anyone who's done any type of, I think really even competitive, you know, just sport in general, but if you've done wrestling or any type of mixed martial arts, karate, Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu, if you've competed when you're not so much, you know, play after play, baseball, football, hockey, things like that, but like your whole objective is just to physically dominate the other person that you're going up against, you know, there's been plenty of times where, like, I can remember back in high school and things like that where, you know, like, yeah, afterwards you find out that you've jammed a finger or completely dislocated something or, you know, something along those lines. And you don't really 
notice as much in the moment. And then it's kind of like afterwards when you're kind of sitting on the bench, someone's just like, oh, that shouldn't look like that, dude. So it's, it's understandable to think like how wrecked you might have gotten and then we've seen that time, you know, time after time as well, just uh, fighters who were just like, no, I can keep going, where probably the next day or even a couple hours after the fight, they've probably been like, yeah, the doctors made the right choice in stopping the fight, and I can see that now. But in the moment, that adrenaline's just going so much that you don't feel it, so you're like, no, fuck you, let me keep fighting, especially if it has a lot on the line. But just in general, I mean, that's that's just something you feel is, you know, in, in the moment, you don't necessarily feel that impact or that pain. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was disgusting. It was oh, yeah. absolutely gross. Uh, I think it happened one other time. I think Leslie Smith got her ear exploded. Yeah, the uh, cauliflower Ooh. ear burst. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's almost vomit-worthy. <laughs> Um, that's as far as I'm going to allude on that because they they just Google it. It'll take two seconds. Google the picture. Now there's no amount of detail we can put into it that will really justify the grossness of this picture. So you wrestled as well in high school, right? Yeah. Like how how many years did you wrestle? Were you like young and you went into wrestling? Yeah, I started in preschool and so, went all the way through. So have either of you ever had your ears drained? No, I don't know how. I never got cauliflower ear. In okay. all the years, but no. Yeah, I had to have mine done, so that's why I was just curious if out of the three of us, like if you guys actually ever had to have them drained before. No, from start to finish, I had my headgear on. No, I didn't get that uh, that wrestling honor. Sick flex, Rob. No, no, it's not a flex. Trust me, with that, getting those fucking things drained is is not enjoyable. Yeah. They they tell you that they're like numbing you up with like whatever that shit is that they put in the needle for it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work whatsoever. No, apparently my big ass ears held out. <laughs> Yeah, I always wore my headgear. I didn't want it. Yeah, I know it's a badge nasty. of honor, but I didn't want it. Yeah. So as soon as practice started, the headgear went on, didn't come off till it was over. I would have preferred not to have this so-called badge of honor. Fuck that. Dude, I never wear my headgear. But, never. <laughs> but moving on to the... Is that the... a euphemism for something else? No. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oof. Oh. Ask the wife. But moving on. ha, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> So the opening fight of the main card, a favorite female robs, Claudia Gadelia versus Yan Zhao Nan. Um, this was a pretty easy one for the refs to call. I'm sorry, the judges to call. Because once Yan figured out she could stuff Claudia's takedowns, she just stayed on the outside and picked her apart. Yeah, I mean, Claudia, I, I was really banking on her taking it to the mat. So, like you said, as, as soon as Yan was able to figure out how to prevent that it was uh yeah it, it, it was a done deal sadly but yes i am a very very big fan of claudia um i like i randomly stumbled upon her instagram you know beforehand and will admit like i before i even realized that she was involved in mma it was just all the thirst trap photos that i was you know interested in and then just randomly one day i saw that she was on a ufc card and i was like oh okay look at you and then I found out that she's also just one hell of a badass female fighter. But yeah, in this one, as soon as Jan figured out, hey, I'm not letting you take it down, yeah, that you could kind of like see it coming at that point. Yeah, I think the only round, and I think the judges did give it to her, was round two with Claudia. Um, I believe, if I remember right, she won 29-28. And one and three, there was no competition. There was nothing close. I think two was the round where Claudia was actually able to get her to take. I think she took her down for the majority of the round in two, and that was the round that she won. Um, 
I said it to Paul on the way over. I think Claudia's kind of done. I yeah. think she's a little cooked. She's going to sit right around that maybe 6 to 10 range. She'll win a couple fights, get herself up. She'll get smacked back down. Um, maybe Paul mentioned possibly her going up to 25. I think that's even more of a nightmare for her because right now she's a big 15er. Mm-hmm. So her going up to 25, she'll be a small 25. I just, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what I was thinking. If she stays at straw weight, I think maybe a rematch with Angela Hill would be a good one. But if she goes up to flyweight, I thought a fight against Roxy would also be a fun one. And I know Rob would know how to call that one because we all love Roxy. We do all love Roxy, but I mean, I I understand Sean's point of her being a small 125 at that point, but... Am I saying that right? You you, you just yeah. looked at me. Okay, uh, you, yeah. you you made a look, and I'm just like, wait, don't make me second guess myself. I'm like, that's that's correct. Um, you're so, about to get a very circuit. You're about to yeah, get I know. It's, smuggling. It's it's, mm, it's coming. You're wrong. But no, I like, and I, I get, Roxy is not bad on the ground, but, and in past performances, she's shown a lot of good takedown defense as well. I don't know. I if we put that match up right now, even after. Her last performance, Claudia's last performance, I see Roxy getting submitted quick. Like, I'm talking beginning of the second round. I think I'd kind of dispute that. I think Roxy's big. She's a big 25-er. That's where I think Claudia She's a going tall up. all 25-er. Well, she did start at Bantamweight. Claudia is a buff chick. So I think strength-wise, and then letting her go up a weight class, strength-wise, I think she would be able to overpower Roxy, who is just kind of taller. She doesn't necessarily, and she's never necessarily been known for like her control on the ground or anything like that or in the clinch. She's mainly a karate striker. So trying to think of her potentially being taken down or slammed to the ground, and then who would have the power in that situation, I think Claudia, especially a weight class up, would put put her out quick. All right, but moving on to what I think next is Jan. There are two names that I thought of. Either Carla Esparza or Joanna Yunjacek. Give her Joanna. Uh, I was just looking at the rankings real quick. Jan right now is the number four. She took Claudia's spot. Carla's the five. I think Joanna's the two behind Thug Rose. Yeah, I say give her Joanna. Uh, I think she deserves it. I, I think her performances have been super impressive, and she remains calm in the octagon and sticks to a game plan. I, I think she sincerely deserves a shot at Joanna. And then if she can take that, give her the give her the champ. Give her the winner of uh, Rose versus yeah. uh, Zhang Weile. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, honestly, you can push her right in there. Um, I mean, first off, it'll be an immediate story, taking something from WWE here. You'll have two Asian... China versus China. Uh, women, two Chinese women competing against each other for the first time for a belt. She's 13-1. and one. Both people in front of her, I mean, after the Namayugas Willie Zhang fight, um, I'm assuming Zhang's going to win that fight. I, mean, I know that's a story for another time, but I'm assuming she's going to win that fight. So, really, she's cleared out at that point. So, yeah, why not give her Yan? And... But, I- in terms of real world situations happening in terms of like COVID and stuff, you know, China's not doing bad. You know, I know we're all preparing for the second wave of winter, you know, uh, making all the game of Thrones winter is coming jokes that you want, but um, 
if China can continue on the path that they have been of uh, all of their citizens following the fucking rules and doing what they need to do to stop the you know pandemic, then I think at that point, if you could have two Chinese fighters facing each other and actually have a potentially semi-filled stadium for a live event, that would be fucking massive. How dare you talk about rules and making people wear masks and violating their rights? America! I mean, anyway. just, just saying, if you lived in China, there would be a reason you followed the rule too, and it would be fear. That's fair. Yes. All but the fear. Moving on to the next one. Um, Giga Chikadze knocked out Jamie Simmons in the first round. Um, a lot of hype around Giga. They say that he is kind of a breakout guy that if it wasn't for Kamzat Chimaev, this is the guy that everybody will be talking about. And he is on a bit of a streak. I'm not willing to throw him into the top 15 yet in the featherweight division. So I would say a guy who's a name who just kind of dropped out of the division or the top 15, a good fight for him would be Darren Elkins. Looking at the rankings, I would say um, he's featherweight. Yeah, so I, why not throw him in the top 15? Give him a, you can give him Barbosa who's sitting right now at the 15. Um, I mean, if he's this young up and comer, he's he's just a really nice prospect. You want to get him into the top fifteen, you might as well start at the fifteen. Yeah, but if they want to push him like that, you don't throw him a killer like Barbosa right away. Yeah, but you have to throw him a killer like Bar- Barbosa, kind of in a sense that Barbosa is literally the last person in the rankings. No, because you said this too multiple times yourself. You learned your lesson with guys like Paige, or Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt. You don't want to throw them in there too quick and kind of throw away all the hype and things you're putting around them. But we're going to move on. You have Rayoni Barcelos, who won a decision over Khalid Taha. Some of these names are weird today, so I'm guessing here. But moving on to the co-main event, where we're going to talk about a little bit more. Thank you, thank you. Andre Arlovsky versus the guy who I said should fight Greg Hardy next, Tanner Boser. Um, it was a unanimous decision. Arlovsky got the win. And Arlovsky uses experience. Tanner Bozer is a fun fighter. He's a bruiser. He's a brawler. He has that Canadian hockey player look. He has a mullet. He's missing a couple teeth. And he comes in there and likes to make it dirty and throw haymakers. But Arlovsky used his experience, intelligence, and patience and kind of didn't let Bozer get it dirty and was able to kind of use his experience, use the clinch, stay kind of technical and stay on the outside and avoid the big shots and do what he needed to do to get the win. Now, I don't know if I am surprised or not surprised. Like I'm, I'm very torn when looking at the numbers on this one, um, just like with the strikes, because both fighters were put at zero control time, which is understandable, the type of fighters that they are. Like when you're looking at it, Arlovsky had 34 significant strikes to Bozer 68. It was the same. So total strikes and significant strikes, each fighter, it was the same. So each shot that they took was a significant strike. And then Bozer had more significant strikes. But, I mean, this one just confuses me when, like, going back and watching it versus looking at the actual numbers themselves. it's, It's one where... Clearly watching it, I went, okay, Arlovsky had this. It, it was, it was a Sometimes deal. the eye test and the numbers that come out don't match up. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Clearly watching it, 
there was no question about it. But then going back and looking at it, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, well, Bo- Bozer was in there, you know. So unanimous uh, by watching it, yeah, that's how I called it. But then looking at this and going back and looking at the numbers, I was actually like, oh, should this have been maybe like a split? Like I, I, w- I was torn on this one. Yeah, no, I agree with what Paul said. Uh, I thought Arlovsky won the eye test, and sometimes it's all you really need to win. Um, the ju- I, I don't know. Like, do the judges have the numbers like directly given to them while they're judging, or are they just going off what they watch? I think they're given the numbers between rounds. Because, I mean, that could change everything, too, with certain things. Like, yeah. if they have the numbers, it could be like, oh, well, you know, X, Y, and Z. But, yeah, I think Arlovsky just uses veteran experience to get mm-hmm. out of there and walk away with it. Sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Just Rookie wow. move. Wow. Rookie Unbelievable. Move. I'm, I'm <laughs> but I thought he used his veteran experience to just get out of there with a win. Now, I said for what I thought would be fun next would be Tanner Bozer versus Greg Hardy. I know Tanner's coming off a loss, but it is a loss to a former champion and a legend in the sport. And if Greg Hardy and him get in there, I can see him forcing Greg Hardy to get in there and get dirty and catch a couple bombs to the face. And the winner of that one would definitely get probably that number 15 uh, fight to see who takes that next step forward. Yeah, well, Arlovsky's the 15. Well, uh, well, last week it was Marcin Tamburin still, so I didn't look at that. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Just throw Greg Hardy to Arlovsky. Why not? He's won, what, his last two, I believe? He's on a streak. It's possible you could do that one, or like, or like we were talking about, either a Ben Rothwell or a Stefan Struve. I mean, plus if he dies, he dies. We all we all win at that point. <laughs> I love the quote: "If he dies, he dies." And now moving on to the main event, where we were all wrong with what we picked. Yeah, <laughs> Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira, and it was a tale of different styles because when it was standing, Tiago Santos dropped him. Anytime it was standing, Tiago Santos clipped him and put him down. But Glover was able to use his experience, use his wrestling, take him down, get control of the fight. And eventually in the second round, he was able to do that, sink in the rear naked choke, put Tiago Santos away, and line himself up nicely for a potential title fight. Yeah, um, in some senses, uh, look, Glover's looked really good over the last couple fights. Mm-hmm. Um he did. He definitely put himself in line for the next title shot. I don't think he's really good enough for the next title shot, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Jan or Dominic Reyes, who I believe are... No, I don't think Reyes is in front of him anymore, but um, I think guys like that are just... Young, athletic guys seem to always give Glover a problem um, that he can't get his hands on. He was able to get his hands on Santos, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to see him get in there and have Jan kill him. Yeah, which is pretty much what I think would happen as well. Uh, he definitely showed veteran experience here. I mean, and veterans an understatement. I just double-checked, and he's 41 years old. So to still be fighting the way that he is and performing the way that he is, it's absolutely impressive. Of course, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, and it's almost nerve-wracking when you go in and you, you watch a fight with him. But he's, he's putting all the doubters, you know, out, you know, he, he really is. But I do think if he went against either of them, especially in my opinion, Jan, I, I'd be scared. I'd really, really be scared to see what happens to him if he goes up against the champion right now. 
Well, Dominic Cruz did point out in Tiago's defense that he is coming off of two reconstructive knee surgeries, and even when he is cleared to start training, he's not allowed to grapple for six months still. But that's your own. That I, mean, I know. I know. That's, that's you know, a decision you make. It is a decision he makes, but that could also help for why his defense was so bad. I mean, didn't we? But like, that was Glover's also in Glover's favor, which sure. good for him for taking. But you know, here's the part where we normally say who would do what, but they already took that out of my hands. Yeah, Tiago Santos signed the other day to fight Alexander Ratchik, who's coming off a knockout win over uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith. Nice one too. And I mean, we've we, we've said it a couple times. Uh, I think over the past two podcasts now, I- at least two, if not maybe even more than that, maybe even like going back three podcasts. We now, brought up Lionheart more than we should. Yeah, and more than we should is exactly how his career is going, Just and completely downhill for a guy who used to have so much hype and a fan following and all of this, you know, just. The, the win streak he was going on to just fall the way that he has. My God, man. And to point this out, Glover's last two losses were Alexander Gustafson and Anthony Rumble Johnson. Yep, which we always bring up every single podcast as well for at least one fighter where your losses are losses, but when you're talking about who you lost to, it's it's not impressive by any means, but it's, you know, they're, when they're big names like that, I mean, everybody who is even a casual fan of this sport knows both of those names. So if you're saying, yeah, I lost to these two more recently, or my two recent losses were to those two fight. I mean, it's some, no one's really going to be like, Oh, you lost to them. No. I mean, those are two of the best in that division. But yeah. We'll talk about what's next for Glover in a little bit, because it kind of goes with something we're Mm -hmm. talking about later, but we're going to move on to the next event. Rob, crack it open real quick. Yep. I uh, just want to go back and say we got the River Horse Belgian Freeze here, Belgian-style ale. Uh, I do love River Horse mainly because hippos are my favorite animal. little fact there. So just wanted to crack that open since we are uh, punches as well as potables. All right, so moving on to the next one. There was a lot of drama going into this fight because five days before the event, Islam Makachev had to pull out due to an infection. They did call a certain person next to me's boy, Michael Chandler, to step in and take this fight. But for the second time, he turned down a fight. Which I'm disappointed in. So on five days' notice, with virtual no training, because he was training for a triathlon and doing light pad work, said he hasn't been in an MMA gym in almost five months, Philadelphia's own, the Irish Dragon, Paul Felder, stepped in on short notice and we'll talk about it in a minute because there's two fights real quick we're going to go through. The opening fight was a fun one of two young prospects, Kay Hansen versus Corey McKenna. Corey McKenna got the nod with a split decision. Um, they're still young prospects, so we'll see what happens to them from there. But Chaos Williams is quickly making a name for himself. He knocked out Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in about 30 seconds. He's had two fights in the UFC, and has spent less than a minute in the octagon. So next for him, I was looking at a fighter who made his debut against Alex Oliveira uh, a couple weeks ago at the Khabib Gaethje event and beat Oliveira with a guillotine, and that is Shafkat Rachmanov. So they're both still new to the event, new to the UFC, 
and both at this point would definitely be in the mid-card of the welterweight division. And a fight like that would definitely push those guys up to the next level against a person like a Mickey Gall, maybe, if they get if they get that win, put them on that level. Yeah, but let's just uh, talk about Williams a little bit, though. I mean, impressive, absolutely. Uh, the thing that always scares me when it comes to fighters who continually end it early is once you finally put them up against somebody who will take them past that first round. You know, um, you, you get these guys that are so used to ending it in the first round and then maybe get a little too cocky or a little too ahead of themselves, and now maybe they're not training to go the distance. Maybe they're just so cocky that they think they're going to end everything early. So then once you put them in the position of fighting somebody who's more their speed, maybe a little bit better than them or who has that veteran experience, then at that point you're really putting them to the test and seeing if they can be mature in the octagon and actively make the proper decisions round by round and stick to a game plan or are they simply just going in for the kill every single time and then once they get somebody who's you know more experienced than that going to either take them the distance and then win by decision or take them into the second or third round where they might not have the cardio and then beat the shit out of them when it comes to those later rounds because now they're just expecting themselves to win in the first because that's just what they do. So that's just what worries me when it comes to uh, Williams. I don't want him to fall into a pattern that so many other fighters who end things quick have fallen into, and then once they get to the second or the third, or God forbid, having to go five rounds, you see them plummet quick. Yeah, that kind of comes with a learning experience too. I mean, he's probably going to have to lose one of them type of fights to probably get his own game right. Um, however, if you keep getting these consistent knockouts, I mean, for to Paul's point, Mickey Gall is almost perfect for that because that mm-hmm. dude's gas tank is abysmal and he can't take a shot, so he might be able to drag you into deep waters, but it'll work out for you in the long run because Mickey Gall in deep waters is not a good sign for uh, for Mickey Gall personally. Deep waters for Mickey Gall is like three feet. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough, and I like Mickey Gall. Yeah. Um, but... I would say it's probably a fair fight. All right, but moving on to the main event. It went all five rounds, even though it was on five days' notice, and it's been something I've been sending about Paul Felder for a while. Philadelphia Tough is a real thing, and he showed it. Um, I don't know what that one judge was seeing when he gave the fight to Paul (laughs) Felder because it was a split decision. Two judges to Dos Anjos, one judge to Felder. I had it four rounds to one. It was it was a good fight. Rafael was in control, mixing up his strikes and his takedowns, just being Rafael dos Anjos. But it puts him right back in the top ten, right outside the top five. But what I did like was afterwards was what Paul Felder said. He said for a while he was considering retirement because the fire, the passion was kind of going out. But this fight against a legend and a former champion going five rounds with him reignited it. And he's back, and I love hearing that. And at the end, another example of respect and appreciation from both guys. For Paul Felder, I think a good fight for him and an exciting fight for everybody would be Ally Aquinta. Any objections or any other thoughts? No, I mean, what you said in terms of the end of the fight and his post-fight interview, um, 
I will fully admit, and I think I've made it clear in previous episodes as well, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Paul Felder as a fighter, You know, I, which sucks because obviously I want to support the Philly guy, and um, it's just... You know, I don't know. He's just never really gone out there and impressed me too much to the point where I've wanted to just like relentlessly back him just because of the neighborhood he comes from. But as much as I thought maybe he was on his way out, and then when I saw the decision of the fight, I thought he's definitely on his way out. I, I kind of got like that heartwarming, you know, movie, cinematic kind of aspect of it where, you know, almost like that, you know, that Rudy, you kind of want to root for him at that point where it's just like, yeah, when he said, yeah, I thought I was on my way out. And honestly, when I heard that, I was kind of like, yeah, I thought you were too. And then for him to be like, you know, but this has really given me a different perspective in the drive and I'm going to refocus and kind of come back stronger than ever. Now, now I'm kind of invested. Am I necessarily going to be rooting for him or just going in blindly and saying, I want Felder to win just because no, but I kind of now want to see him and I want to see the progress and I want to see where he goes from here just because now after hearing that and that just the words he chose to use, now I actually want to see him progress, which for me is a little bit more exciting. Uh, but I'm also more realistic and I, I even against Aquinta, I, I don't know. He really has to make some changes. I mean, look, we can look all heartwarming and get gushy-gushy with it. I thought you were going to go total cliche and say Rocky over Rudy, especially because Rocky got his ass whooped by Apollo Creed in that first movie. I mean, that's And uh, I'll be real with you. I don't know. I agreed with Paul. I don't know what that judge seen because RDA looked like he was at a typical sparring-slash-training session mm-hmm. throughout that entire fight. And I understand five days is five days. Like, that's that's tough, especially not being in the gym sure. for, for four months. I got no no problem with that. But uh, I, I think he can handle Iaquina. I I his wrestling's okay. I mean, he's from Duke Rufus, so you know his striking's up to par. Um, I mean, look, with Felder, it, it is what it is. I don't think you're ever going to get a guy who's going to ever get past the top five. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, it was a great stepping stone for RDA to probably jump into that 6-7 range. So, other than that, there, there, there really wasn't much to it. RDA kind of came in and handled it as easily as it could have. And here's where Rob's going to hate me. For RDA, his next fight should be Michael Chandler's first fight. Considering Michael Chandler just sit straight up said, no, I ain't fighting Tony to save that December card. He's got to eventually fight someone. Three fights he turned down. Shit, really? He literally just read it on ESPN right now. He just said, I'm not fighting Tony in 2020. All right, look. I mean, it's the same thing when it comes to Connor as well. I don't like dodging fights. As much as I might like a fighter in the octagon, and Conor McGregor is one of them, he's up there in my top, and Michael Chandler in terms of Bellator, again, we have to eventually fucking see what he's going to do, but apparently that's going to keep taking time. Well, he keeps saying he's not ready or that's not a fight my team wants me to take. Which is understandable in terms of the second excuse. You can't come into this organization with the contract you were given and the hype that you were given and say, I'm not ready, when your slogan all throughout Bellator is anytime, anywhere. Well, clearly the fuck not at this point because you've turned down three fights and at least this one was a good one. I would have understood him being like, yeah, I turned down the other two. This is the one I'm taking because Tony Ferguson, if I go in and I knock him out and it's a stand and bang matchup like that, then 
And he's the earns, three in the rankings. Exactly. Then he earns his spot at potentially even the title shot where more people will at least be understanding. Not where they're like, okay, Khabib versus Justin, Michael Chandler never fought in the UFC, is now going to just get his opportunity if one of them opts out or gets sick or whatever the fuck happens. But he goes in against Tony. He has an actual claim to the throne, essentially, if he beats Tony and then winds up there. But no, f- fuck this. I'm pissed off now. I'm just going to keep ripping Chandler and Connor. But uh, moving on. So Dana White made a couple announcements a little while ago. And the first one, it's kind of self-explanatory. We don't really need to get into it too much because we talked about the Ultimate Fighter a little bit. The Ultimate Fighter will be returning in March. They announced that it will be middleweights and bantamweights, so it looks like it's going to be an all-male Ultimate Fighter. Likely. Still no words on the coaches, but the two big names that are circling that seem to keep being brought up are Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington, who seem to be on a collision course regardless. So that could be entertaining, especially since we know how gangster Masvidal is, who will punch him in the face regardless of where it's at, and Colby with his ridiculous bullshit uh, shit-talking. But moving on, and here's why we said we'll talk about Glover later. Because Glover, even though we don't think it'll go well for him, did earn his title shot. But it does look like he'll have to wait because it looks like they are booking Israel Adesanya to fight Jan Blachowicz for the light heavyweight title. And Dana didn't want to do it, tried to talk Israel out of it. But because of what Robert Whitaker saying, saying he wasn't interested in fighting Israel right now, which is why we said we come back to that comment, he could no longer deny Israel from jumping up to fight Jan. And the reason I say Glover is kind of stuck in limbo is because I think if somehow Izzy does beat Jan, his first title defense will be John Jones, which will leave Glover out in the cold looking for a fight, unless he plans on waiting over a year for his title shot. Go ahead, Rob. Fuck Robert Whitaker. Like, seriously, no. I mean, shake your head all you want down there. Like, how you are handed... I mean, not handed because he earned it, but like you're you're given a title opportunity, you are given the champion, and for you to say, oh, "I don't want him," I don't, not right now. What what the like? That's worse than anything like Mike Chandler has done so far, as we just said. Whoa, no, whoa, no, 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 no. He's turned whoa, down. Whoa, this is no, 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 no. He turned, I knew this was coming. He turned down three fights, sure, and I I'm pissed as about it. As a newcomer and in a brand in the biggest organization in the world. Okay, but you are number one contender for the championship, and you're a little bitch and step down because you don't want to face no, Izzy. No, he literally said the only the only fight I'm taking is Adesanya. He just said right now I fought two fights in the last it, couple of months. I want to take a little time is, off to spend with my. You kids. have said it on previous episodes. It is your fucking job. Yeah, he fought two fights recently. Okay, and they're not saying jump back in in the next month. But he said he's going to fight him. He said the only fight he wants after this is out of sight. You're number one contender. You don't get to pick and choose when you fight the champion. If you're champion, you have a little bit of leeway. He is running the fuck away right now. And because of that, now we have to deal with all this extra bullshit, all because Robert Whitaker is being a little bitch about it. And that's why they're currently trying to book Costa versus Whitaker. I think, to be honest with you, regardless of the situation, Adesanya was going up. I, I, I hope Costa beats Whitaker and he gets the number one contender and takes it right away from Robert Whitaker because he doesn't very deserve bitter. it. But I think regardless of situation, Adesanya was going up. I think that was happening no matter what. Because if you actually look at it, Adesanya pretty much cleared out 
the middleweight division, whether it was when he was the champion or on his rise to becoming the champion. Yeah, he absolutely did. He's pretty much cleared it out. So for him, it actually make, it absolutely makes sense to go up. The only problem you have with it is Jan hasn't even had a title defense yet, so it really makes no sense for Jan to get the super fight in that sense. But like I said, I think their thought process is if by somehow Adesanya beats Jan, puts him right in, right in John Jones' sights because... What's Jones going to do, wait around all this time while Stipe and Ngannou? And I know John said he's not interested, he's not interested. If Izzy gets the belt with all the bad blood, I guarantee you he's interested. Yeah, but I don't think it'll be at 205. I think they'll do it at a catch weight. I think it, John Jones has hit the point where everything's on his terms. I know I hate to say, like, look, and I, I'm absolutely the one who says John Jones is the best fighter of all time. I'm not a fan of his personally. Uh, but, look, when you've done everything he's done in the sport, much like when GSP got to come back and jump right into the 185 mix for no reason, uh, John gets to call the shot. So if John says, I don't feel like dropping to 205, Izzy, if you want me, because let's be real now, the red panty fight is John Jones for Adesanya. Yeah, but if it's for the belt, you can't call a catch weight. I don't think it's going to be for the belt. I think Jones is done with 205. I think he only has heavyweight in his mindset, to be honest with you. And that's fine, but you said if... So we're saying if Izzy beats Jan... Yeah, he'll keep that belt, and his next fight against John Jones will be at a catchweight. It won't be for the belt. Yeah, but see, or you'll get but, another BMF belt. Yeah, oh, the fake belts. Oh no, please. a super title fight. It, it's coming. You'll oh. get something, something cheesy along them lines. Jones will spank out of Sonya, send him back down to eighty-five, and you'll move on from this. And this will never, you'll never even be talked about other than Jones and him on Twitter. Except us here right. talking about this shit. <laughs> yeah. It's just it, I just feel so bad for Glover because what does he do now? Does he sit around and wait to see how this works out? Does he take a fight? If he takes a fight, who? Because you don't want to take any of those top like top four or five guys or those two killers who are coming back. You know who created this kind of monster and this cr- kind of nonsense? Conor McGregor and Conor Dana McGregor White. and Dana White. I was so, about to say I was like Dana White because yeah. Conor wouldn't be able to get away with half the shit he did if Dana White wasn't just like yeah. Go out and do your Money, thing. Money, man, that's all it is. This well, is Dana sure. White's problem. This is Dana White's fault. You created this nonsense where, you know, champions can win a belt and go fight, you know, oh, well, I want to take on the 185 or the, you know, heavyweight, which Jan, I'm not saying Jan isn't a great fighter, but I'm saying I feel like the only time you should get a super fight between two champions is when two champions clear out their divisions. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. And I do not want to see Jan face another champion. I I think there's at least a good handful of people, you know, may, I shouldn't even say that, like a few fighters who I think would be able to step up and at least earn a title shot against him well before Adesanya should even be brought into the picture. Um, ultimately, for Glover, I think if everything goes the way that we're talking about it right now, I think just not even in the octagon, he should just go find Robert Whitaker and just fucking guillotine him. Well, in reality, too, like, sorry to cut you off, Paul. But I think Usman versus Anasani would have ended up making more sense in the grand scheme of things because Usman's at least defended his belt multiple times. This is why people need to actually watch the Twitch stream when it happens or the recording back because I guarantee some of the things that we're saying when we're cutting off Paul or his little smirks when he's like, ah, uh, 
His Actually, face is turning as red as my hoodie right now. This is why you well, guys have I to watch us. I don't think Usman and Adesanya will fight because they have that Nigerian pride, which is I just understand, dumb. but I was saying more or less two guys who have defended their belts. That's logically it. Well, speaking of Usman, that brings us to the next point. Mm-hmm. With Habib coming back, going for the 30-0. and 0, No. What's, no. what's the plan there? Well, it's GSP. It's GSP at 70. But yeah. that's if Dana signs off on it. Come on. I mean, if we're talking, we just talked about how Dana White does the things that he does for money because he's a businessman. I mean, then that's understandable. And, you know, but that's also if GSP doesn't signs off on it because he says he, he wants it, but he's also hesitant because of his age. So if GSP isn't available, now don't get me wrong, I would love to see that because everybody knows me and Dan are both huge George St. Pierre fans. What do they do? Do they promote Tony? Do they throw? Do they force him to try to fight Connor, or do they try to talk him up to take that super fight against Kamaru Usman for his retirement fight? And here's my thing against Connor, one hundred percent against him. And what we've already kind of brought up as well is the UFC and Dana White need to regain control over the fighters. If you have someone contracted for X amount of fights and they're saying, well, I want to do it at this weight class or I want to fight here. Oh, they have control over most fighters. It's just two or three that Dana White lets run around like spoiled toddlers and do and say whatever the hell they want. I'd say most of the people with a belt, most of, not all of, but I'd say most of the people with a belt and even some of the people that are in number one or number two contender. It's it's the superstars who don't need the belt or the wins to be relevant, like a Nate Diaz, a Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal. Exactly. But if they come to you and they're the ones coming to you and saying, I'll do this, absolutely, but I'm going to do it for this amount, you have to be boss enough as the boss in order to say, no, you're going to get this. Yeah, but This is have, what I'm giving you. This is the crybabies like Conor and Nate while I'm retiring. Yeah, but screw it at that point. Poirier's starting to fall into that. Uh, yeah, he is. That, mm-hmm. that. Now, too. granted, I think Poirier was underpaid for a good amount of time based off of the performances he was he was giving. But, yes, I mean, now we're getting to the point where fighters are starting to now control the fights more than the actual organization of UFC, and that needs to change dramatically. Dana needs to put his foot down and say, no, this is your next fight. Well, I don't want to fight him. doesn't matter what you want. If you want money, this is your next fight. Dana boomed himself when he said, you're all independent contractors. Yeah, now yeah, we're really the WWE, WWE. Yep. But uh, the difference between, I would say, Connor and Dustin and Tony is Dustin and Tony want to be paid what they're worth and paid fairly instead of their current structure of their contract where they get paid a certain amount Agreed. to show up and make weight and then another certain amount if they win. But if they don't win, they don't get that second amount. They want more of a guaranteed structure which I understand because it's the difference for Dustin between 150000 and 300000 But at the same time, we have to go back to Adesanya's last fight and what he was saying in the Octagon afterwards is you do have to hold fighters accountable for making weight because we've but seen Dust, but more, in, in and my more, defense, and more Dustin, recently. But the guys I brought up, Dustin and Tony, don't have that problem. Well, no, and I understand that, but you also can't have a structure for some fighters and then a different one for others. You have to hold everybody accountable when you're stepping into the octagon and say, you're telling me the structure of Dustin's contract and the structure of say Khabib and Connors isn't completely different. There's no way you you can hold them all to the same standard. These guys agree to the contracts. Well, from my understanding, when it comes to the weight cut and the actual making weight, it's the percentage of your pay 
Well, is that, the same. Well, no, that's the it's the difference between what they're getting paid because you got you don't the guys like like Max Griffin show up to make weight for him is not the same as the show up to make weight for Dustin. Yeah, it goes by how many fights you have, and that's how much you get paid at base amount. Like if you have like ten fights, it's like seventy five thousand no matter what base. Yeah, but isn't the percentage that they take away if you miss weight? It's the same across the board yes, for all. Yes, yes. So it's that's like what I'm saying. Yeah, but so that's what I'm saying. That's what Something Adesanya's like point was. But it goes. But the thing is, if the, say. Say Adesanya's fighting Costa and Costa misses weight. That twenty percent goes into Costa's purse if he takes, or Adesanya's purse if he takes the fight. And if there's this fight bonus, it goes to Adesanya. Mm-hmm. So they're not complaining too much about that bonus. Trust now me. Now you could probably solve all this pay crap. Union. Well, yeah. I mean, primarily because yes. I'm in one, so you know, pro union. Yay. Um, oh yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, but um, let them get their sponsors back. Get rid of this this BS Reebok deal that you put yourself into years Please. ago. Which, by the way, fighters rarely complained about pay when they had their sponsors to make up the difference. Ever since this Reebok deal came in, mm-hmm. that's when fighter pay became an issue. Well, that's what. Well, Tony and Dustin are crying because you know they've been headlining and putting on all these fights and shows and winning, and their pay structure still sucks compared to guys like Connor. I understand Connor's a superstar, but they're like, we should be paid a little bit more fairly, which I understand. But we're getting off topic. Who should Khabib fight for 30 and 0? I know GSP. you said GSP. I know I said Kamara. But if those two aren't viable options, is there anybody in the lightweight division no. that they should fight? Absolutely not. Uh, honestly, the only one at this point is Tony Ferguson, just so you can say, well, there wasn't one that got away. And he's said numerous times now that he's not fighting Tony. Because yeah, it's said, beneath him, essentially. He said Tony's, Tony's and his time is done. Yeah. They were scheduled five times. It didn't happen, and Tony lost his last fight, so it could be moved on. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that there's anybody other than, really, in my mind, the one super fight of GSP where that that's it. You know. But if GSP isn't available, would you be against him going up and fighting Kamara? No, I mean, he he's an undefeated fighter. He's retired as a champion. He can do whatever he wants to, and I'm not going to be disappointed to ever watch Khabib fight again. But, I mean... I don't think it's worth it for him just to be like, I want to go 30 and oh. I mean, at that point, take number 15 and just wipe the freaking floor with him. Like, well, I, like, 30 and oh was what father's number. That's what father wanted. Okay, so he's trying to talk. Dead. I understand. But you know how he is with his family and honor bound, and he wants to hit father's well, number. Well, that's the whole reason he retired is because he made a promise to. Well, he's trying his to talk mom. his mother out of it so she can get that last one yeah, for but father. He, but he also said that he doesn't want to be in a fight without his father at ringside. Well, Which, I'm just telling you what Ali Abdelaziz, who's his manager, is telling yeah, us. And, and I get that. And, I, you know, we, we've we read the articles and we, we've all seen that. But it's like, you know, wh- which one is it? Is it we're sticking to Father's plan of going 30-0 and 0, or are we sticking to Father's plan of never being without him at ringside? And well, he's then been also- without him at ringside because his father wasn't able to get visas into the country a couple times. But this would be, you know, not in general without him because he's, you know, he exactly. passed away of COVID. Yeah, so... I would say Usman's out, yeah. Uh, primarily because, as far as the UFC goes, that's bad business for them. Khabib's retiring. Usman loses. Now Usman loses all hype he's had. So now you have to rebrand and re-promote Usman to get his belt back. So it, it really makes no sense for well, him. Well, Usman still that. has to win his fight against Gilbert Burns, but that'll be a talk for later. But moving on, here's where I get to have some fun. Oh, thank God. Why do I feel like it's going to come to Chandler or Connor or some other oh, it's, shit that it, I hate? It, it's Connor. So, a little while back, Dana said the Connor Poirier fight was done. 
Later on, we found out it wasn't even close to done because they sent Dustin Poirier a contract. He said, I'm not signing it because it's not the right contract. So apparently they didn't offer Dustin the money that would come for fighting Connor. So then he finally got the right contract that he signed. So then you, you know, the announcement came out. They have a date. It's official. No, it's not because Connor didn't sign the contract. And now there's talks of him not signing at all and then putting in Justin Gaethje to fill in. Now, who Justin Gaethje is going to fight, they haven't said. Is he going to fill in for Connor against Dustin? Or is he going to fill in for Dustin against Connor? They haven't said. But they've been saying that, you know, Justin Gaethje is probably going to fight one of the two. It's like one of us at this table has been saying all along that this fight wouldn't happen. Dan, does that sound familiar? I could pull up the tape, but yes, it does sound familiar. (laughs) I could pull up the tape. So, I'm going to open up with Rob. I have said from episode one that I am a fan of Conor McGregor and the Octagon. Can you smell your own smug when you talk? Oh, on this one, absolutely. I uh, I, I say that I, I like the, the fighting style and his ability in the Octagon. Do not like him personally. I love his whiskey. Um, fuck you, Paul. And that is where I'm going to leave it. Look, I'm going to tell you exactly why Connor hasn't signed. And it's because the one thing that someone at this table pointed out. And you know why Connor hasn't signed? Because Khabib hasn't officially retired yet. So that's holding up the one thing that Connor's not going to sign for. That's that wonderful flashy belt. The second that belt is on the line, Connor McGregor will be on that dotted line regardless of who it's against. And I guarantee it. The only reason Gaethje's getting this fight that Paul is so, like, breathing in his own smug about is because there's no belt on the it's line. so nice. Um, uh, congratulations. <laughs> you're winning an argument that everyone said the only way Connor signs is if there's a belt on the line. No, 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 no. There like was the somebody, per- two of you, who on our last pod said Connor was going to take this fight because he needs the win more than he needs the money. Oh, okay. yeah, and I kept telling you, the, no, 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 the no. South Philly Paul money. Ryan's coming out. You're damn right. <laughs> and it's from South Philly. Northeast. Get it right. Anyway. You've lived in Jersey for over 25 years. Shut your mouth. All right, Paul Ryan, relax. You're just upset because you've already said Connor needs to win. Connor needs to win. And yeah, I that's why we said Connor's going to fight he's Dustin. Not I thought fight he was going to say you're upset that you didn't grow up in Kensington. I was like, nobody's upset they didn't grow up in Kensington. Yeah, At this relax. point, nobody wants we, to grow up We still up have all our teeth, dude. There's yep. nothing Kensington about yeah, it's us. because other you've than lived in New Jersey for the here. past 20 years. So, I kept saying he wasn't going to sign with Dustin. And he's proving me right. Actually, you said he's going to fight. Gaethje. You said Connor's going to fight Gaethje. Which, I said that. Right, which is a possibility of not happening, so you could also be completely Uh-oh. wrong in this. Oh, no. there He's going to fight Gaethje because if you remember, the fight he wanted that he didn't get, so he retired, was who? It was either him or Tony because he wanted no, to No, it wasn't Tony. Yeah, he wanted It was well. Justin Gaethje, and they told him no because Gaethje was booked with Khabib, and then he asked for Diego Sanchez. Actually, he got told you can sit in and fill in if one of them go down, and he, that's when he retired because he didn't want to be put on the side. No, because, again, he, after that, after Gaethje won the belt, he texted Dana and wanted to fight Gaethje. He, date, he told him no because Gaethje's going to fight Khabib because he said Khabib was going to pull out of that fight. He said Khabib was never going to make weight, and he was going to pull out. So he wanted to fight Gaethje. They told him no. So then he wanted to fight Diego Sanchez. They told him that fight makes no sense. No. So he retired. Yeah, no, Paul. Going to disagree with you on that one there, buddy. Pretty sure. He released the, he released the text. Yeah, and all he wanted. He, he released the text. He, he wanted Justin, and he wanted Diego. Yeah, well, no, I understand that, Paul. Relax, get your panties out of a bunch, and let me explain You know, my point, just so like I let you go on your... 
10 minute rant there about how right you were and I'm about to break it down while you're wrong so here oh, you really? go he's gonna sign to fight Dustin okay we're gonna grab a third beer to this episode <laughs> he, he's gonna sign he's gonna fight Dustin no Connor's not okay then I was right I'm sorry yeah Connor's probably not gonna fight Dustin and I've been saying that from the beginning Paul shut up for 30 seconds my <laughs> god you're worse than Trump Oh, my God. That was low, even for you. No, no, it really and, wasn't. And, and he's sitting there screaming about the the, the, the text. They, they released the text. Like yeah. The emails. I mean, the only thing we're missing right <laughs> now is a tax return. They never the emails. The only no tax re- returns. Nothing. Yeah, dude, you're really being a Donald Trump right now. Let's <laughs> relax here, dude. And I said that in a room full of Bidens. So I was just about to say, are, are you calling him just an overall loser who won't accept it? Yeah, I'm about to. I mean, that's that's. All right, so he's gonna, all right you're going to tell life. me how Connor's going to sign the fight with Dustin. Go ahead. Yeah, you ready for it? Watch. So here's Connor's what's going to happen. Sign the fight with Dustin. Yeah, there it is. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, Khabib is going to eventually hold out for a while, and eventually they're going to want to get that division moving. So what they're going to do is they're going to put up their corny and term belt because they're going to want to sell a pay per view. Not this and early. Now that a belt is on the line, Connor will sign to fight, and he will sign to fight Dustin. If Connor does not fight, sign to fight Dustin, he will not sign to fight Gaethje. Gaethje will fill in, and those two will fight for the interim belt. That's the only way that that happens. I will say the only thing I've been super proud of about Dana White recently is the interview where he did throw it out there that this whole, you know, catch weight or, like, you know, 175, like, it's, it's no, if you want the belt, you're going to fight at the weight class. And I was at least happy to see that he put his foot down about something, especially when it's involving Conor McGregor. He's not going to put an interim belt on that fight because he's still saying that Khabib is the champion. He's not stripping him until Khabib decides what he wants to do. So the belt will be on Khabib for at least a year Again, before they decide what to do. It's not stripping him. It's just... Putting not something out put there an to move belt the division Because he already along. said he's not going to fight Connor. But but again, the whole thing is with Dana White. Stop giving the fighters the power. They're your employees, independent contractors or not. You own this corporation. You own this business. You are the one that makes these decisions between you and your board. If Khabib retired and he put his gloves in the middle of the octagon and said, I'm done, I'm not doing this without my father, and I made a promise to my what, mother. Was he the undertaker? Yeah, mm-hmm. so it, all he needed was a hat. Undertaker, and it what, been retired completed. three times? Yeah, at least. Yeah, so then, fine, let him come back in a year at WrestleMania, I don't, or, like, whatever UFC's equivalent is, Super by all Bowl means. Like, international, UFC 269. International. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> international Fight Week, but that's in the middle of Ramadan. He won't do that. Let me, so, let me give you the real way to make this happen. So the way they need to do it is they need to get Khabib and McGregor for the belt, and the way this happens is you just have McGregor, you shoot, it's a shoot. You know, WWE style, Vince and Dana talk it out, and you just cut to this vignette of a cemetery, and Connor's just <laughs> pissing on his dad's grave. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bang. They would have to pay Khabib, like, millions uh, of don't dollars. Don't even tell him. Billions. Oh, my God. No, because if they never told Khabib about that. making the jokes about his dad being a terrorist and his wife being a goat under that veil. Khabib would literally kill him. Exactly. I'm in for it. Yeah, yeah but yeah, let him but, die. No, if he see, dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. No, see, let's talk now. Here, here's the issue with Dan's plan. There, if he dies, he dies because then Khabib kills Connor, rightfully so, because he's pissing on his father's grave, and then the IRA takes up arms against Russia, and then we have a war that, unfortunately, all of our 
native land between you know between Morgan, uh, my mother's maiden name of Murray, and then Ryan is your guys' last name, right? No. Oh wait, no, it's Hardy. <laughs> um, so all of us having Irish heritage, um, that whole entire island's getting blown the fuck up at that point because Russia's just going to nuke the shit out of us. So then, uh, no, I would not like this scenario, um, no matter how good it would be for TV. Paul, just move it on because we're all going to disagree. I was about to say, I was like, where, where are we going with this? All right, yeah. So there is a pay-per-view this week. The main event had changed because it was supposed to be Davidson Figueredo defending his UFC flyweight title against um, Cody Garbrandt, who the UFC is still trying to push, and he's popular for some reason. I still don't understand it. But Last fight. His last fight was all right, but he got knocked out three, four times before that. Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that if we're talking about and hype. And he, he was absolutely sick. trash on the Ultimate Fighter and then got bitch-made by TJ Dillashaw twice. Oh, I don't like him at all. I'm just saying if we're looking for but reasons to why they're pushing him. This card is a solid card. I'm not going to say it's stacked, but it is a solid card. It's a good one, yeah. You have a rematch between Paul Craig and Shogun which their last fight was a draw. Yeah. So they're running this one back. Uh, I'm so leaning... with Paul Craig, is Craig also his middle name, not his last name? <laughs> it's possible. He's from Scotland, we should ask. Um, Caitlin Chukagian, with a quick turnaround after her loss to Jessica Andrade, is fighting Cynthia Calveo. So two top-ranked girls on that one. You have another one who a lot of fans like, who I don't understand, Mike Perry. Ugh. who has a new opponent because Robbie Lawler dropped out due to an injury against the Dirty Bird, Tim Means. Is his uh, girlfriend still his corner One coach? of his cornermen, yes. His one girlfriend of, still. So it's not just the only one now. Yes, well, remember, he did try to hire someone, and Darren Till said he'd do it, but <laughs> that was how much people were going to pay him to sabotage him. So the Darren Till-Mike Perry drama still goes on. The co-main event, which I think should have been moved to the main event because I think at this point she's the bigger star. Valentina Shevchenko defends her flyweight title against Jennifer Maya, which I don't think any of us think Jennifer Maya is going to win this fight because no. Valentina Shevchenko is one of the top three female fighters in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, the only fight after this for Valentina that honestly makes sense is, I mean, you could maybe say Andrade, but dude, she's got to go up and get that third fight against Nunes. Yep. Well, I know Lauren Murphy just called out Andrade, so we can see what happens there. But rest in peace, Laura Murphy, if she does that. (laughs) And then the main event, Davidson Figueredo with his first title defense against Alex Perez. Now, if you don't know who Alex Perez is, I don't blame you. They don't really push the flyweight division all that much. But he is coming off a very nice win over a guy in Juicier Formiga who probably should have fought for the belt by now. But he's like at that Michael Bisbing level where he gets one fight away and then he loses. I think he just got released. Today. That sucks for him because he, he was a good fighter. He was basically the gateway to the belt. But uh, Alex Perez basically finished him with leg kicks, kicked him to the point where he couldn't stand. So this will most likely be a striking battle between yep. two guys who are willing to throw. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going champ on this one. I really am. Like, uh, not, not like saying like it's going to be uh, just straightforward and I expect him to just you know go in there and absolutely demolish the whole entire time, but I, I do think that uh, we're going to look at uh, retention of the belt here. So for me, just straight down the card, I like Paul Craig, Cynthia Calveo, 
I hate Mike Perry, but I'm probably going to go with Perry. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko, and just based on a gut feeling, I'm going to say Perez. Nothing else, but I just have a feeling, and uh, I, I, Davidson Figueredo didn't impress me in his in his wins to get the belt because Benavides was picking him apart, but he just kind of caught Benavides. He has knockout power, and when he clipped mm-hmm. Benavides, he put him down. But when Benavides was in the pocket with him, Benavides was picking him apart. Yeah, I'm going to thoroughly disagree with you there and say uh, Figueroa destroyed Benavides um, to the point where I thought he was going to retire him. Uh, the first fight was was kind of close. He finished him. I mean, he finished Benavides twice. He did, but in, in the second fight, Benavides won the first round. I thought the first round, if I remember right, Benavides he was, he had Benavides's back to end the round. No, that was the I believe that was the first fight no, when he came in one. overweight. No, the second no, one def- he abused that was definitely him. the second. Yeah, the second one he abused Benavides. It wasn't even close. The first one might have been close. The second one was not. The second one he destroyed Benavides. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go with Figueroa there, dude. I think he's gonna kill him. I think that belt's staying right where it's at. Shevchenko, easy call. Well, yeah. I think either way, whoever wins, Cody gets the next shot. They're going to keep pushing Cody. They should. He's a big name. And he can maybe revive the division that's been dead since they traded Demetrius Johnson. Mm, yeah. It had a little bit of life with Henry Cejudo, but then Henry left the division. Yeah, my only quorum there is just the fact that after one big knockout, they're branding the new and improved version of him. It's just like, all right, like he's had one fight. Like, can we can we just hold off a little bit on, you know, making him the next best thing? You know, now that he's new and improved, he he won one fight. And honestly, like, the, I'm not saying his technique wasn't there, but yeah, well, that, the thing that, that's, that that was one hail mary of a fucking well, pass. The, the thing that's helping Cody is he's not doing all of his training in Team Alpha Male anymore. He's jumping to the East Coast. Hell yeah, and he's been splitting his training. With Frankie Edgar and Eddie Alvarez as coach, kind of right. hypocritical of them, considering one of the big beefs they had with TJ Dillashaw the splitting time, was splitting with, the, yep, te- the Dwayne Ludwig. Yeah, it doesn't make Cody look good, but that does help him. And what also helps is the story because Davidson Figueroa knocked out his teammate, which so is, you have the the storyline going in too, which is you know a part of it, and it, and it has to be again. You know, we have to consider the business aspect and the you know understanding from trying to book these bigger fights. Again, I think Dana needs to put his foot down a little bit more when it comes to telling fighters what they're going to have their next fight as. But at the same time, to people who don't necessarily know that they had this rivalry before or that there is, you know, this switch of camps or who might not even know what the fuck a camp is, you know, for them to just see, okay, this dude had a really big knockout. He's young. He is, you know, who they have the limelight on right now. Why aren't they pushing him? So, of course, they're going to push him. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't think he should be getting the push that he is after just one knockout that he got. That Well, he also to- is getting a title shot in his first fight in this weight class. So, again, that's another strike against it. Yeah, I mean, o- overall, I'm not too thrilled about it, but I understand it. Um, you know, it's, it's not my call to make, obviously, or else I wouldn't be sitting at this table. Um, you know, I'd be making money for the UFC, but, uh, either way, I think, I think it's going to be exciting. I think we have, uh, the end of 2021, I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch. 
uh, regardless of star power and big names or anything like that, uh, going forward till the end of this year, I said 2021, 2020. Um, so I'm already looking forward to getting the fuck out of this year. Uh, I think the end of 2020 is going to be really exciting. A lot of good stuff and a lot of material for us to review. Anything else? Um, I mean, just looking at it, I'd, I'd really kind of like to see Shogun get a win here. Yeah. Um, just to kind of keep his legendary status alive. Since I'll be real with you. Since he came over from Pride, I'm not saying he's been a total disappointment. He did win the belt, but I think they kind of got a little let down out of him. Well, I think the problem is, and it's not that he's a letdown, it's he's been through so many wars, and for most people where his age is, he should be in his prime. But with how many wars he's been in with these guys, his chin for the most yeah. part is gone. So he can't go in there and brawl like he used to. So he has to be a little smarter. You also might have a number one contender fight on the prelims too, and that Brandon Morano and uh, Brandon or Brandon Morano and Brandon, Brandon Royville, because yeah. I know Royville's that guy you looked at like you're like no way he's he, he's a fighter, and then he came out and you know oh, yeah. destroyed. Yeah, and I I admitted it's it's recorded and available to listen to. I fully counted that kid out as soon as he walked out. And they do got to figure out what they're going to do with that December card since both titled fights dropped out on yep. it. Yeah, well Morano's the one, so he's the one. Literally, he's fighting... Uh, I think he's like the five? No. Royville's not the five? No. He's the six. Oh, I thought you were talking about Morano for no, a second. I'm uh, like, no, he's the one. Literally looking at it. No, uh, Royville's the six. So you got to think that's the number one title shot right there. Contender shot outside of whatever happens with Cody. Uh, I think they'll give Cody the fight, and then whoever wins that fight will get the next shot because they still want to push Cody. I mean, outside of... Cre- oh, I'm sorry, Rob. Go no, no, you're good. Outside of creating a superstar and uh, uh, Jorge Masvidal, that trade really hasn't worked out too well for. Well, I guess it really did if you're making all the money off Masvidal, but especially now that they're put, they're saying him versus Col- Colby being the next big fight and possibly the coaches for the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, all he really did was make Demetrius Johnson one of the best fighters in the world, pound for pound of all time. If he goes over there and wins another belt, I think he already won the belt. No, he won the Grand Prix, not the belt. Okay, so he's next in line. All right, so speaking of next in line, we're going to wrap it up there. We're going to leave you with a little bit of suspense going into next week. Uh, We promise to try our best not to leave you with another two-week stint of, uh, you know, COVID tests and uh, home remodels. But we will get back to you as soon as possible. I hope you're looking forward to this weekend as much as we are. And, of course, we will do our best to live tweet this going forward. So make sure you do follow us on Twitter and Untapped at Process Potables. Check out the Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. And, again, be sure to check out all of the other podcasts that we have going on primarily right now, Power Bombs and Potables, and the flagship one, our Process Potables. And, as always, check out www.processpotables.com. Uh, So come see us at Buffalo Wild Wings sometime as well. We know it's COVID. Don't come touch us. Stay within six feet of distance. But we'd love to actually hear from you. Tweet us. Let us know what you'd like to see on the podcast or hear rather. Outside of six feet of distance, not within, please. Yeah, yeah, outside of it. You know, if you have a mask, whatever. But anyway, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap this up here and uh, just – Message us on uh, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, anything. Let us know what you'd like to hear from us here on uh, Punches and Potables. All right. Well, I'm Paul Ryan. I'm Rob Huber. I'm Sean Hardy. Signing off. Have a good one. Peace.